And now, back to David C. Pack. The next quote is beyond fascinating. The longest quote in the whole series, it comes from a Time Magazine article, Why Science Does Not Disprove God, and shows more evidence God's existence in no way conflicts with science. This article shows no evidence of anything other than ignorance. It's not even an article, it's the review of an entire book. A book where the author said the discoveries of fossils, evolution, geologic time, the rotation of the earth and other developments in science showed that scripture should not be taken literally. But I can understand why you wouldn't cite that part. If it wasn't on the magazine rack at your doctor's office, then you wouldn't know about it. God's existence would still conflict with science even if he really existed because man designed his gods to be untestable and thus unassailable phantasms, a fantasy protected from exposure by analysis. Science is a means of understanding natural things and God is supernatural, as in imaginary. Science requires that positive claims be based on indicative evidence, but God can only be believed on faith in lieu of evidence and even in spite of evidence. Science requires that every postulation be testable and potentially falsifiable, but both the Old and New Testament warn believers not to put God to the test. God's commandments are both illogical and illegal as well as irrational and conflicts with everything science is or does. In science there is only what is supported by evidence and what is not supported, and whatever is not supported is unworthy of serious consideration. It begins... A number of recent books and articles would have you believe that somehow science has now disproved the existence of God. No scientist ever said they've disproved God, but then neither would they ever need to. And not just because it can be logically impossible to disprove a negative. But that's why the burden of proof is always on the one making the positive claim. Your God is an extraordinary claim, asserted without any evidence at all, and against all evidence to the contrary. It's not just an unsubstantiated and thus empty assertion, it's dishonest as well. There is no need to disprove what was never indicated in the first place, especially when such is not even possible. That's why things that are asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. That means we don't have to prove that God does not exist. You have to prove that he does. And so far, your attempt has been what we call a face plant. We know so much about how the universe works, their authors claim, that God is simply unnecessary. We can explain all the workings of the universe without the need for a creator. And indeed, science has brought us an immense amount of understanding. But does this vast knowledge base disprove the existence of some kind of pre-existent outside force that may have launched our universe on its way? Again, this is empty speculation about silly, primitive, childish notions that are not only unsupported, but impossible according to everything we know about anything at all. You're essentially repeating yourself now, so I guess you've run out of arguments and this is just a recap. But as I've already shown in earlier episodes, most physicists say there is no reason to imagine a god at all. Science is an amazing, wonderful undertaking. It teaches us about life, the world, and the universe. But it has not revealed why the universe came into existence, nor what preceded its birth in the Big Bang. That's true. Science has brought us a long way while religion holds us back. While we have ideas about what the catalyst behind the Big Bang could have been, we know that it could not have been a magical anthropomorphic immortal. It wasn't a god, especially not your god, because you worship man-made mythology, and all of that is absolutely wrong about absolutely everything. 
We know and can show there was never a global flood, and the Tower of Babel is just a legend, and the story of Adam and Eve can only be a fable, one that was adapted from earlier polytheism. Much of the rest of the Bible is a combination of tall tales, fever dreams, and failed prophecies. Even though we don't yet know the right explanation of what caused cosmic inflation, we know that the Bible is the wrong one, because the Bible is dead wrong on every testable claim it makes back to front. Biological evolution has not brought us the slightest understanding of how the first living organisms emerged from inanimate matter on this planet and how the advanced eukaryotic cells, the highly structured building blocks of advanced life forms, ever emerged from simpler organisms. Because one, that's not evolution, that's abiogenesis. Two, DNA didn't come from simpler organisms because it isn't limited just to advanced life forms. DNA is a requirement of all life forms. Some viruses have it too, and they're not even alive, so they're not organisms at all. Three, the first living organisms actually arose from animate matter, as I explained in an earlier episode, where I also explained how experimental science shows how inanimate matter can become animate. Neither does it explain one of the greatest mysteries of science. How did consciousness arise in living things? Yes, it does, actually. What is it that allows humans to understand the mysteries of biology, physics, mathematics, engineering, and medicine? And what enables us to create great works of art, music, architecture, and literature? We know how natural selection can establish motor sensory connections and hone these from what starts as a simple nerve knot and ends up as millions of synaptic connections. We know also how hunting and other activities can increase intelligence and how social hunters necessarily develop greater group coordination and communication. Such animals not only demonstrate problem-solving skills, but they typically have some level of awareness of self as well as empathy for others. If you're lucky enough to be a social species committed to coordinated collaboration and communication, then it's just a combination of excess brain mass and the luxury to employ it, which develops from there to increase cognizance to concepts. That's where dolphins are. They would be where we are if they had hands and could experiment with chemical reactions. Talk about an unintelligent design. Once a system becomes self-improving, capable of learning, and given sufficient hardware to manage and explore it, consciousness is easily achieved, and conceptual analysis is eventually possible, even from blind designs subjected to the dynamics of population mechanics. This is a super-abbreviated summary, of course. Suffice it to say that science has explained the emergence of consciousness and is the only thing that can explain that. We will send you a free booklet answering these questions. Titled, What Science Will Never Discover About Your Mind, it addresses every question you have about why you have a mind that can think and create, and animals merely have brains that function on instinct. I recently interviewed someone who knows you, and I'm not at all surprised that his informed opinion of your scholarship as an author mirrors my own suspicions about how you managed to convince your followers that you know anything. It surprised me, but most of the ministry of the church doesn't read outside of the church. Um, you know, Dave Pack never read a book, from what I can understand, that he didn't write. But since you said that your book would address every question I have about the minds of humans and other animals, then I have two questions for you. Why is it that even dogs, pigs, and horses are capable of more than just functioning on instinct? And a better question is, if life was magically imagined by God, then why do whales, elephants, and ravens have such brilliant brains trapped in bodies that can't manipulate or experiment or do anything to improve their intellectual capacity? Do you realize that if raccoons had the intellectual capacity of dolphins, that they could be our equals now? 
Does your book answer these questions? If not, then I guess that that's just one more failure in a long list of things you got wrong. I would also bet that there is no answer given in your book that you could actually show to be right. And if you can't show that you're right, you're not. You haven't answered the question at all. We continue the quote. But much more important than these conundrums is the persistent question of the fine-tuning of the parameters of the universe. Why is our universe so precisely tailor-made for the emergence of life? This question has never been answered satisfactorily. Maybe the answer isn't satisfactory to someone who won't accept any answer other than God. Someone who desperately needs to pretend that they have a special purpose and will live forever and that they are the reason the universe exists and that to believe otherwise is somehow arrogant. But that question has been answered and the answer is that the universe is obviously not fine-tuned for the development of life on Earth. The universe is what? 78 billion light years across in every direction, with trillions of galaxies, each with hundreds of billions of planets that won't support life, and the occasional inhabited island is really just a life raft adrift in an otherwise inhospitable void of poisonous boiling chaos that would kill us instantly everywhere else. But you want to pretend that this breathless, deadly abyss of flaming radioactive projectiles was created just for us? The deeper we delve into the mysteries of physics and cosmology, the more the universe appears to be intricate and incredibly complex. To explain the quantum mechanical behavior of even one tiny particle requires pages and pages of extremely advanced mathematics. Why are even the tiniest particles of matter so unbelievably complicated? Reality is complex for the same reason that the claims of religion are so unbelievably simple. You would think that if the world had been created for us, as you say, then there would be a way of measuring hours and days evenly without having to account for missing seconds or to having to add leap years. If the universe had been created by God for man, then you would expect that the universe would be a lot smaller and much more similar to what they thought it was been in the Middle Ages, when the sun and the moon were supposed to be the same size and both bigger than the stars and stuck in the firmament and so on, where the earth was the first, biggest, and most important thing in the universe, at the center of the universe. But everything, in the, everything the Bible said about the structure of the earth and its relationship to the heavens proved not just to be wrong, but stupidly, embarrassingly wrong. It appears that there is a vast hidden wisdom or structure or naughty blueprint for even the most simple looking element of nature. No, it appears that there is no sense or justice in the universe beyond what we make for ourselves. There certainly isn't any apparent intent of purpose nor even a possibility of that. Not just for scientific reasons, but also for philosophical and even theological reasons, which you wouldn't be able to understand any better than you don't understand science. And the situation becomes much more daunting as we expand our view to the entire cosmos. Where your God as an explanation for anything diminishes to the size of the tooth fairy. The next section is even more fascinating. I hope so, because the last section was just stupid and boring. Seriously, will you ever get past the logical fallacy of arguments from ignorance and personal incredulity? Follow it carefully. We know that 13.7 billion years ago, a gargantuan burst of energy, whose nature and source are completely unknown to us and not in the least understood by science, initiated the creation of our universe. Then suddenly, as if by magic, the God particle, the Higgs boson, discovered two years ago, came into being and miraculously gave the universe its mass.
Why did this happen? The mass constituted elementary particles, the quarks and the electron, whose weights and electrical charges had to fall within immeasurably tight bounds for what would happen next. For from within the primeval soup of elementary particles that constituted the young universe, again, as if by a magic hand, the quarks suddenly bunched in threes to form protons and neutrons, their electrical charges set precisely to the exact level needed to attract and capture the electrons, which then began to circle nuclei made of the protons and neutrons. All of the masses, charges, and forces of interaction in the universe had to be in just the precisely needed amount so that early light atoms could form. Eventually, the highly complicated double helix molecule, the life-propagating DNA, would be formed. Are you grasping all of this? Yes, I am grasping that nothing ever came into being as if by a magic hand, because as I pointed out in earlier episodes, Particle physicist Victor Stenger said that we have perfectly plausible natural explanations for the origin of the universe, including the laws of physics and so on, while astrophysicist Sean Carroll noted how theism fails to explain the fine-tuning of the universe, and physicist Lawrence Krauss said life is fine-tuned for the universe it is in rather than the other way around. He also said that the universe would continue to exist if the strength of the four known forces was different and that the livable range of those forces is nowhere near as tiny as your sources allege. In other words, you're citing a mathematician speaking about physics, and the physicists say he's wrong. Why did everything we need to exist come into being? How was all of this possible without some latent outside power to orchestrate the precise dance of elementary particles required for the creation of all the essentials of life? How would that be possible with God? How could your God manipulate matter? How does he control when someone loses their car keys or gets a new job or wins the big game? How could he know the future if everyone's supposed to have free will to do what is not expected? How did he create life? How does he do anything? How could he even exist? How could we apes be made in his image unless he is an invisible ape? Gods and magic are not explanations of anything. They're excuses for not knowing and not wanting to. The great British mathematician Roger Penrose has calculated, based on only one of the hundreds of parameters of the physical universe, that the probability of the emergence of a life-giving cosmos was, get this, 1 divided by 10 raised to the power of 10 and again raised to the power of 123. This is a number as close to zero as anyone has ever imagined. And the indicated possibility of a disembodied mind with no brain to generate it, conjuring complex interdependent systems out of nothing with an incantation, is precisely zero. There is no precedent or parallel nor verified phenomenon to show that anything you believe is even possible and no mechanism for how he, your God could do anything if it was possible. And all of that defies Occam's razor, Hitchens razor, and the laws of physics. The probability is much, much smaller than that of winning the Mega Millions jackpot for more days than the 13.7 billion year old universe has been in existence. As I and Lawrence Krauss explained in earlier episodes of this series, if one looks at all the factors pertaining to any one occurrence that happened today, one could obtain a probability so small as to render any such occurrence statistically impossible despite the fact that it actually happened 
nonetheless. The scientific atheists have scrambled to explain this troubling mystery by suggesting the existence of a multiverse, an infinite set of universes, each with its own parameters. But if it takes an immense power of nature to create one universe, then how much more powerful would that force have to be in order to create infinitely many universes? It wouldn't, or it wouldn't matter if it did. And no one scrambled to explain this either because it isn't troubling at all. It's just that since our world turned out not to be the center or the beginning of the universe, the way the Bible said that it should have been, that our tiny world could be quickly lost by any Star Trekker traveling at warp speed, then maybe the universe is no more singular or special than our planet is. It is actually more likely that there would be multiple universes than just one, erupting out of fourth dimensional space perhaps, by means that maybe wouldn't require any outside energy and certainly no direction. So the purely hypothetical multiverse, to begin with, does not solve the problem of God. There is no problem of God. The only problem is those who obstruct the progress of understanding by still believing in gods. The incredible fine-tuning of the universe presents the most powerful argument for the existence of an imminent creative entity we may well call God. That's your most powerful argument? Seriously? I guess I guessed correctly in the second episode of this series. But if this is the best you can do, why keep trying?